come to what is the seventh and final letter that Christ includes here in this great book of Revelation, uh, the letter to the church in Laodicea in verse 14 through 22. So let me read those verses for us and I'll pray briefly for God to bless our study and then we'll begin. So let us hear now as the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us once again and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may be not seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And thus far, the reading of God's word, let's pray once again. Father, we do ask that you by your spirits would guide us that you would lead us, that you would help us as we study this truth from your Son once again, that you would help us to hear these words, that you would help us to keep these words, that we might find your great blessing. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Those of you that may be familiar with the Two Towers, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, might know this scene in, in that book where... A man named King Theoden, he's in his palace and he's ruling and he's a rather, rather pitiable figure. Uh, the forces of darkness have altogether dominated his life to such a degree that even while he's performing his kingly duties, he's this worthless, he's this youth, useless ruler in the land. And when the great wizard Gandalf shows up, he means to kind of eradicate all of Theoden's worthlessness, his uselessness, his darkness, his pitiableness. And he does so by beginning to open the windows to let light in. He opens the front door that the keen air, as the text says, would erase on in. And he announces to Theoden, too long you have sat in the shadows, being twisted by lies and tales. And what we see tonight in this letter to the church at Laodicea is Jesus doing the exact same thing. He's coming to a church that thinks they are thriving, but he says, in fact, you're worthless. You're useless. And he means to shine into their condition, shine into their circumstance, the true light, the true breath of the Spirit that they might indeed actually live, work, and pray unto His glory. And so, students, if you notice, as I was reading the text, there's not one good thing that Jesus says about the church at Laodicea. And we've seen in previous weeks that Jesus normally always has at least something good to say 
about the local churches to whom he is writing. You know, some people would say Sardis is quite similar in terms of it only gets rebukes along the way, but there's actually a kindness in Sardis that's not present in the letter to Laodicea. That's why, and we can say this, I think, reverently and rightly, Laodicea is the worst church that Jesus writes to in these letters. And the great tragedy of this story, as we're getting ready to see, is they don't know it. They think that they are completely sufficient in and of themselves to glorify Jesus Christ. And what a terrible tragedy it is, isn't it, that you can so spectacularly fail Jesus' inspection, like the church at Laodicea, and have no awareness of your worthlessness to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. But there's a kindness that you're going to see along the way in Christ's words to this church of old. And so we want to notice this final letter in chapter 3 in four simple parts. First, we'll see the Christ. Secondly, we'll see the condition. Thirdly, the counsel. And fourthly, uh, the conqueror. So the Christ, who is the one speaking to the church at Laodicea, notice two things, at least two things that Jesus says the Laodicean Christians need to know about him according to verse 14. The first is that he is the truthful one. Verse 14 begins, And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. It's similar to what we saw last week in the inscription there to the church at Laodicea in verse 7. Your kids, I'm sure you've heard a number of times people maybe after a prayer, like we often do in church, or maybe your family does at home, or someone might utter an amen, not just after a prayer, after a statement or a thought with which they agree. And of course, an amen is just confirmation that what was just said is true. And Jesus is the great amen to all of God's truth. As 2 Corinthians chapter 1 can tell us, He's the amen, the amen, the confirmation, the affirmation to all of God's promises. And the reason the Laodicean Christians need that truth about Jesus, that He's the truthful one, because they have bought a bag full of lies about their actual circumstance, what we're going to see in a minute. And the second truth about Jesus they need is that they would know He is the powerful one. You see how verse 14 ends. Jesus refers to Himself as the beginning, or you could say the prince of God's creation. And I don't think that that has in mind students the creation of Genesis 1 and 2. I think it has in mind the new creation that's come by virtue of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That out of His eternal storehouse of power, His, His new creation glory, He can grant to His people everything that they ever need. And we're going to need to know that because the Laodiceans think they don't need anything. And Jesus is about ready to say, you need everything. So this is the Christ. And then we see his word about the condition, the condition of the Laodicean Christians. Notice verse 15. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Now you have to know a number of things about Laodicea to make sense of what Jesus is saying in this letter. The first of which is you have to know that they were near, the city was near the the Lycus River. And you would assume in the ancient culture that the city would then probably get its water source from that river. But that river was dirty, and so the water source was tainted. You couldn't drink out of it. And so what they had to do is they had to pipe in water from two different cities that were somewhat nearby, anywhere from 5 to 10 miles away, depending on the city. So they would pipe in uh, water from nearby Colossae, which was understood to be refreshingly cold. 
And then they also would pipe in water from Hierapolis, which was understood to be kind of soothingly and calmingly hot. But the problem was, in the intervening passage of those miles of pipes, the cold water showed up in Laodicea as lukewarm. The hot water showed up in Laodicea as lukewarm. And the ancient culture understood lukewarm water to have no positive value whatsoever. And so, in Jesus' mind, the only positive value of this lukewarm water is to illustrate the spiritual condition there of the Laodiceans. Because he says, notice as verse 15 continues, Would that you were either cold or hot. So it's not as though cold is bad and hot is good. Both are good. Cold is refreshing. Hot is comforting. And he says, you Laodicean Christians, you're so indifferent. You're so moderate. You're so lukewarm as he's getting ready in a second. You're just totally useless to me. At least you would be something useful to me. And I wonder what the spiritual temperature, if you had some sort of, you know, thermometer on your own soul, what it would reveal about your condition before the Lord. Might you have that kind of heat of Jesus Christ that inflames other people with the zeal of Christ? Or that cooling, comforting power of Jesus Christ that nourishes others in the grace of Christ? Well, he says here that the Laodicean church has neither. And so notice what he says in verse 16. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So kids, suppose that you were outside working yesterday. It was a rather warm day, at least up at our house. I was outside working yesterday and you wanted some sort of, you know, quenching of your thirst. And you come inside and you grab the first cup that you see on the counter and begin to take a great swig of that cup and you're thinking that it's going to be some sort of drink that's going to satiate your thirst, you know. Maybe it's water, maybe it's Gatorade, and you discover it's this lukewarm coffee left over from the morning. And then if you're anything like me, you can't stand coffee to begin with, and so you immediately just spew it out of your mouth. That's the image that Jesus says is the image of what he is going to do to the Laodicean Christians. If you make it a little bit more popular language, he says, you make me sick. I'm going to throw you up. That's how dangerous it is to be a, a lukewarm Christian, according to Jesus Christ. The condition continues, notice verse 17. He says, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Now, Laodicean city at this time was understood to actually be quite a prosperous community. So prosperous, in fact, that in AD 60, when an earthquake essentially decimated the city, they refused Roman imperial help, financial help, to rebuild the city. And the Laodicean citizens said, we're just going to rebuild it on our own dime. And not just that, we're going to improve it beyond its former glory. We're going to add all these gymnasiums and these theaters along the way. And so Jesus recognizes what is this temptation of the Laodicean culture to self-sufficiency. Because he says, again, if you look, you say, I am rich, I have prospered. I need nothing. And isn't it true that far too many American cities, far too many American Christians, far too many American churches have bit into that lying apple of self-sufficiency? What do I need you for, Jesus? What do we need you for, Jesus? We have everything we need right now. 
And Jesus says, your perception is all off because you don't understand the degree of your self-deception. Verse 17 continues, you do not realize that you are what? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Consider the image that Jesus seems to kind of put in their mind there. It'd be like if they went out around the corner of the church building or the house in which they were meeting and they met this naked beggar there asking for money. Or, maybe better said, actually, of course, with Jesus' language there, they met this man who is naked, who's altogether poor, altogether impoverished, and you walk up to him in your compassion and you said, Hey, can I help you along the way? And he says, What need do I have of anything? I am rich. I am prosperous. I have everything that I need. And Jesus says, such as the spiritual condition of the Laodicean church, they don't even realize the degree to which they are totally lost, completely far gone in the Lord Jesus Christ's estimation. This is the condition of the church at Laodicea. And it's not a good condition, is it? So their condition meets the counsel from Jesus now in verse 18. You see it begins, I counsel you. To buy from me. Now, before you continue on in that verse, what you need to know is another couple of things about Laodicea. So, it was a city of great prosperity, and its prosperity normally was understood to come from three particular areas of profit. First was the banking industry, second was their black wool that fed the fashion industry, and thirdly, it was medical technology particularly in terms of their ability to point ointment and this ointment they had manufactured and invented that uh, was supposedly uh, able to help poor eyesight. So banking, clothing, eyesight are there understood to be true sources of prosperity. And then in verse 18, do you see how Jesus strikes at each one and says, no, the true profit and prosperity is found In me, he says in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You are broke, you are naked, you are blind, and everything you need is found in me. Everything you need to see is found in me. Everything you need to be clothed in righteousness is found in me. Everything you need that you might flourish and live in comfort, that's found in me. And again, you're not recognizing it, church in Laodicea. The council continues, verse 19, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. You want to circle that first phrase in verse 19. It's one of the more amazing things that Jesus has said in these seven letters that are full of amazing things. Because you you need to notice the sweep of what he's just said. You make me sick, but I love you. I'm about to ready to throw you up, but I love you. Do you know that kind of Savior that can have that kind of strident stance against His people in their sin and still in His tenderness and mercy say, but I love you. Be zealous and repent because the only way to spiritual life is always repentance. Maybe just as we saw last week to the church at Philadelphia, 
You may need to hear that strong stance of the Savior against your self-sufficiency. That does make him sick to his stomach. And likewise, hear his word of comfort. I still love you. Return to me in your zeal and repentance. So the council now comes to what is one of the most famous verses in all of Revelation, not just the letters to the churches. Notice verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I remember many years ago when my family was getting ready for a meal during the holiday season. I have five sisters and, you know, family dinners were always a rather rambunctious affair in the Stone household. And we were getting dinner ready when we heard, you know, a knock at the door. And we all began to look at each other and speak to each other. Were you expecting someone? I wasn't expecting someone. Did you ask someone to come over? I didn't ask someone to come over. Who is that? I don't know who that is. Why don't you go find out, Jordan? So I went and opened the door. And it was one of those moments where you open the door, you want to shut it again because you think you've seen some sort of a mysterious vision there because I opened the door. And standing there in front of me was my Uncle Bob with a Papa John's pizza box. And I said, hey, it's Uncle Bob. And I said, ha, ah, really, who is it? Now, the reason it was so stunning that it was Uncle Bob there on the front step was he lives in Michigan. We lived in Allen, Texas at the time. Uncle Bob, in the last 10 years, had only visited Texas once. And really, he's here in Allen, Texas during the holidays holding a Papa John's pizza box. And we found out that he had this surprise trip to North Texas, and he decided to surprise us with his presence for two days. How much more shocking must it have been for the Laodicean Christians to hear a knock? That won't stop. Calling that won't stop. And look who it is, verse 20 continues, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's one of the most famous evangelistic texts in all of the Bible, really. It's actually immediately directed to a church. It's also coming from a book of the Bible you may not know, the Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2, where there the husband is said to stand at the door and knock asking for his wife to open the door that she might renew love to him. And here Jesus takes it up in his own ministry to this church and says, I'm knocking on the door, I'm calling through the door to my bride, asking that she would take up her love to me once again. And in a letter that is altogether directed to the church, you'll see that it, all, it becomes altogether individual at this point. You see there in verse 20 in the middle, he says, If anyone... Here's my voice. He isn't doing the corporate you. If you hear my voice, if anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with them at this great feast of the wedding banquet. So you wonder, don't you? Did anyone open the door of their heart spiritually to the Lord? Could it even be true that he's knocking on the door of your heart tonight? He's calling to you, saying, won't you let me in? Don't you want to eat with me? Why don't we just sit down together? And the tragic thing is, if you know anything about the Laodicean church, it seems like no one let him in. Within just a short amount of time, it was altogether gone from the memory of history. This is the council. 
And finally, it ends, as these letters often do, with a word about the conqueror. You see verse 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, I suppose in our age of the pandemic and a year of the coronavirus, it won't be as common as it normally would be in holiday seasons past. But certainly, kids, if, if you can picture the image with me of of what we normally see going into a Christmas season. When you walk into a large mall or some type of a place, you'll see a line out a door, out a particular hallway, and uh, kids are dressed up in their Sunday best, and inevitably you realize and recognize that they're getting ready to go sit next to Santa there on his great chair so that they're going to get this throne. And and maybe you have had some sort of a picture-type experience of that as well. And, of course, what Jesus is saying here is what's much better than that infinitely, eternally better than that, as you get to sit with me on the throne if you conquer in your faith. And notice what he underscores there also as well in verse 21, as I also conquered. Now students, how did Jesus conquer? Through a cross that led to a crown. Be not surprised when suffering is your ordinary experience. When hardship and difficulty punctuate your weeks and months to the one who conquers, I will grant you a throne as I have also conquered. Isn't it true that it's one thing to persevere in your faith when life is easy? It's entirely difficult and different to persevere in your faith when life is much harder. This is Christ's word to the church at Laodicea. And so as we begin to close, maybe what you can think about, and I mean this reverently, is the Lord Jesus Christ in this letter particularly is something of a divine taste tester, that every congregation has a flavor. We know that to be true biblically from other passages, that of course if we were to burn the incense of this church, it would arise as a particular smell to the Lord's nostrils. But here the language is that of tasting, that of temperature. So what might be the things that we could mark off that we might signal out as pleasing tastes to the Lord according to the church at Laodicea and the letter that they get? Let me give you two things and then we'll be done. First of all, it is a church of repentance. You can't miss if you've been with us in recent weeks how virtually every single letter that comes with correction, the remedy is always the same, isn't it? At its core. Repent. Return to me. I wonder where we as a church need to repent. Where you as a family need to repent. Where you need to repent and return to the Lord. Repentance is always pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Be zealous and repent, he says. But it's not just a church of repentance. It's also a church of reliance. I suppose no greater warning might be needed to be directed to American churches today, certainly in our southern context, that are all too often tempted by the enemy into this scheme of self-sufficiency. We are wealthy. We are rich. We can often feel that we have everything that we need, that church life will perpetuate and continue even if the Lord Jesus isn't among us. But we know that's not true. And we must know that's not true. The only kind of reliance that brings eternal joy and reward is not self-reliance, but Christ-reliance. So where might you need to be repenting of sin where you have relied on your own wisdom, your own strength, 
Perhaps much like the church at Laodicea, you've just continued on in your own life and ministry saying, I have pretty much everything I need. I guess I don't need much of Jesus along the way. Are you hot? Are you lukewarm? Are you cold? Are you lukewarm? He's calling. He's knocking. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would grant us by your Spirit the heart of repentance. That you would protect us from our own sense of self-worth and self-sufficiency. That we might recognize that we are indeed dependent on you for all things. We pray that you would feed us, that you would sustain us, that you would clothe us. That you would open our eyes. That we might see you knocking Open our ears that we might hear you calling, that you might enter in, and that we would have fresh fellowship and communion with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we respond to God's word, let us stand and sing together just the first four verses of hymn 501, particularly verse 4, coming from our text this evening, Just As I Am Without One Plea.